feel extremely fortunate that Boys and Hodgson agreed to speak with me pretty much at the drop of a hat. And uh, he's a man with an amazing story, and I'm going to let him speak for himself. All I want to say is, by the time we were about five or ten minutes into it, I felt like I was with a friend that I'd known my entire life. So uh, do enjoy this conversation between yours truly and Boys and Hodgson. Enjoy. Welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. I'm Ken Mossman, and my guest today is Boysen Hodgson, who is the Communications and Marketing Director for the Mankind Project USA. He's also the father of two and happens to live next door in the state of Massachusetts. So not really next door, but state-wise next door. So Boys, and it's a pleasure to have you here today. Any Anything else you want to say in terms of uh, either how cool you are or other pieces of your biography that you want listeners to know? <laughs> Maybe. Thank you, Ken, for having me, first of all. that Thank you. And I don't know about cool, how cool I am. Um, but yeah, I grew up in upstate New York. So I'm, I grew up over there and then moved over here and became even more of a Yankee living in Massachusetts. So you were at one point a neighbor. I was, yeah. I I grew up in outside northeast of Syracuse, New York, in a tiny, tiny little place called Cato, and Red Creek and Wolcott and Fairhaven, New York. I bounced around a bunch of little towns up there before going away to the big city of Ithaca, New York, for uh, my first stint at college. Nice. And, you know, since we're on the topic of where you're from, say a word or two, because some of our, of course, some of the listeners are, are familiar with uh, the Mankind Project. And if we slip yeah. up and say MKP, that's fine. They can make their way to it. Um, but say a little bit about what got you involved with Mankind Project and maybe even a little bit about what it is for those who don't know. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Uh, so Mankind Project, we're a nonprofit organization. We've been around for uh, celebrating our 35th year this year. Wow. Um, the Mankind Project started in the Midwest U.S. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, with three guys who got together who were who had been doing some personal growth work together and attended some workshops together. And one of them, uh, Bill Kalth, who was a therapist, had a kind of bolt of lightning moment where, you know, he was shaking his fist at the heavens and saying, somebody's got to do something for the men and uh, recognized finally that it was him. So he brought a couple of other guys that he had been doing some stuff with Ron Herring and who was a, a curriculum studies professor and Rich Tosi, who was a ex Marine and a general motors engineer uh, together over the kitchen table. And they, designed a weekend training, a weekend workshop that they called the Wild Man Weekend at the time. Uh, it pretty quickly morphed into a thing called the New Warrior Training Adventure. The New Warrior Training was first offered in uh, 1985. And we've been doing them since then and grew from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to now we're a, a global, uh, global organization. We have 14 global regions, all independent charitable organizations. 
um, with their own uh, their own kind of structures and stuff. But what we hold to is this idea of social emotional development for men through rather intensive process. So the new warrior training adventure is like an initiatory weekend intensive experience. And then we continue that work through men's groups. And here in the United States, we have a network of over 800 peer facilitated uh, men's groups meeting weekly or biweekly. And for most of our existence, that has all been in person, face to face. And living today, uh, those groups have all gone into, into Zoom rooms or FaceTime or Google groups or any of those other technologies, but to continue kind of doing this work of waking up, growing up and showing up together. Beautiful, waking up, growing up and showing up. Yeah. And you and I spoke about this when we first had, when we had our first one-on-one -on -one conversation, and and, uh, and and I think your story of how you made yeah. your way, including the parts about avoiding making your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I grew up in, as I said, in upstate New York, and I was, uh, I have six brothers. I grew up with five of them. I had kind of an idyllic upstate rural New York childhood until about the age of 10. Um, so my dad was the local veterinarian in a tiny little town and knew everybody. And, uh, you know, it was basically bike rides, tree forts and poison ivy was zero to 10 for me or two to 10. And uh, then my parents divorced around 10, 11 years old and kind of my whole universe imploded. And I, though I grew up surrounded by boys and men, I ended up taking on a whole lot of really mixed up, unclear, confusing, disempowering messages about what it meant to be a man and kind of grew, grew with that. And how I coped was I became the good boy. I was like, the perfect kid, good grades, so well-behaved, you know, sweet little boys. And, and I went, went with that persona through most of my 20s and ended up in a place where, you know, because of the books that I had read and all the spiritual awakening material that I had done and Siddhartha and Alan Watts and uh, Scott Peck and The Road Less Traveled and all of these wonderful tomes, you know, I thought I had it all together. I was a, I was a good kid living my spiritual awakening. And I hit about 30 years old and my life was a mess. I was isolated from almost everyone, had no close friends, was in a relationship that was um, mutually abusive and, and unhealthy for, for both of us. And, uh, and in the meantime, I was going through all that uh, my family, some of my brothers, started going through this new warrior training adventure. And they went through it and, man, it just knocked their socks off. And they had uh, a new way of interacting with each other and this, this openness and authenticity about them and this truth-telling that they were doing with each other and really facing facing stuff. And, and I just kept saying, no way, no how. You know, my brother went through it. Other brothers went through it. My dad went through it. My stepdad went through it. I had cousins that went through it. And I refused 
what I know now, I refused the call, refused the call to adventure for years and years, about seven and a half years. I'm just, I'm just making up that, and because uh, I know in so many, in so many families, the, you know, simply because you're a family member, you automatically have no credibility. <laughs> and I'm, ima- I'm just imagining that multiplied by, you know, however many fold in your particular circumstance (laughs) yeah that's true i mean there was this there was this repulsion and attraction that happened with me at the same time i i mean i i loved what i saw coming from my brothers and it was terrifying to me because i had lived this existence in a bubble for so long and i knew somewhere deep in my deep down that you know, if I went through a process of really getting honest with myself about what I was doing in, in my life, that a lot of stuff was going to have to change, that, that I was going to need to change a lot of things in my world. Um, and I finally kind of emerged from the fog at 30, 31. Um, my mother passed away. That, that became a very critical kind of turning point. Um, mom passed away in 2002 mm. and and the the longing the the pain of remaining in the bud as Anais Nin says right it became it became more painful to remain in the in the that state than to flower than to open and uh, the relationship that I was in ended and I was living alone and making changes in my life and uh, starting to kind of come out of my shell and engage in stuff. And I was seeing a chiropractor at the time named Wayne Garfinkel. And uh, I didn't know, you know, I was living in Massachusetts. I didn't have, didn't have any friends, as I said. I was just there as getting some chiropractic work done. Had kind of an emotional catharsis on the chiropractor table. Maybe some of your listeners have experienced that. And came out and Wayne followed me into the hallway and boys, and I see that a lot's going on with you. And, you know, I know your, your body's changing and your, you know, things are happening with you and I'm not sure what all's going on, but I just wanted to, you know, check in with you and see if you had ever heard of this thing called the new warrior training adventure. (laughs) And I swore at him and laughed, of course, (laughs) laughed in his face and, uh, and I was like, man, the, the, you know, the universe just kept kind of knocking at the door. And, uh, and that was 2003. That would have been late 2003. And I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. And in 2004, April 2004, I went and did the New Warrior Training Adventure. Um, my now wife, who was uh, my girlfriend at the time, she did a program the summer of 2004 called Women in Power, which was Mm -hmm. a similar kind of shadow work based intensive weekend. And uh, we never looked back. So I've been in a men's group, in a men's group since then and uh, got involved at the volunteer level with MKP. And now I've been employed by the Mankind Project for about nine years. So it's been a, been a heck of a journey. Yeah, and I'm reminded of those. Uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of those commercials. I liked it so much. I bought the company. The, yeah, right. <laughs> That's it, right? Yeah, and and it's it's interesting. My family, um, 
my brothers now, uh, several of my brothers are still kind of loosely involved and, you know, connected to the project, but, you know, here's what I, here's what I love and here's why I stay involved, why I've stayed involved is the level of connection and authentic communication and, and honesty, openness that we're able to create when we actually settle in and check in with each mm. other is beautiful and amazing. And I went from a guy who didn't really have any close connections to people to a man who I have, I have brothers, I, not just blood relatives, but I have men that I can reach out to literally at any time of day to check in and really get honest and really get truthful about what's going on with me. And these days in the times that we're living in, boy, I see a need for that for, for men and for all of us to really have places where we can be authentic and open and in the uncertainty and, and in the transition that we're experiencing. Yeah, and that's which of course brings us to the 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 the, the reason that you and I are speaking uh, in the first place, and that is, you know, uh, first of all, I, I I love everything you said, and and the need, you know, before we uh, we we'd ever heard of uh, the novel uh, coronavirus, um, yeah. th there was uh, uh an epidemic of of loneliness among yes. men this is well documented yes and now you know uh, perhaps even more than ever certainly in our day and age certainly in modern times um or postmodern times i suppose if we're gonna be more correct about it yeah um yeah the you know the the need to be able to the need and the hunger to be able to sit down with another man and look him in the eye or to sit down with anyone uh, as a man and look them in the eye right and be able as my as my friend and and mentor uh, Rick Tamlin says uh, uh, there's there's two questions there's how are you and then there's a question that follows which is how are you really Yes. You know, to be able to have those conversations. So what do you, you know, with your, with your years and depth of experience, you know, what do you see as, uh, in your estimation, we'll bounce back and forth with this, you know, what is, what do you see happening? Uh, I'm looking for the language of it, but, uh, you know, what do you see happening and or necessary at this intersection of crisis? Because we are, you know, we mm -hmm. are in a crisis uh, of uh, global crisis, um, you know, at, uh, at the intersection of uh, crisis, I'm going to say um, ambiguity, because no one really knows what direction all of this is going to go. Right, you know, crisis ambiguity and um, and uh, responsibility. Mm hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that that in in the intersection of uncertainty and responsibility um, before Corona, before all this came. Uh, podcasts like this, I would have conversations about the growing crisis 
of male isolation, men's isolation from each other, men's isolation from themselves, from the, mm. their families, uh, d- depression as an epidemic in men, suicidality as an epidemic in men, um, fatherlessness as a, a wide-reaching social problem in the United States. None of those things have stopped, <laughs> right? right. right. They haven't those, gone away. Yeah. All of those things are still true. And now we have this kind of era of global uncertainty. And what do we do with that? And a couple of years ago, I launched, we the Mankind Project launched a campaign called I Am Responsible, hashtag I Am Responsible, which was about in response to the Me Too movement to hashtag Me Too, what do we do as men men intent on our personal growth, men intent on our responsibility, men intent on caring for ourselves and those we love, men intent on creating a better better families, communities, society. And responsibility was absolutely the word that came up. It's like, even though, you know, I, I am not the man who has raped. I am not the man. I'm not a violent man, right? Even though I am responsible for the cultural context in which these things occur. Mm. Yeah. That's a, 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 I love where you're, I love where you're looking and I love where you're pointing. And I love that, that MKP is also looking and pointing and pointing there because there is to, to me, you know, a, 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 there is um a strong sense that if this is showing up in my world, yeah, you know, that this shows up in my world is a call to responsibility. And I want to just say a word or two more about responsibility and flip it back yeah. to you because in my, you know, the models that I work with anyway, the, you know, res, uh, responsibility is divorced from duty, obligation, and burden. Mm-hmm. And when we divorce it from duty and obligation and burden, then it, it becomes a conscious choice. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful question, uh, uh, or it raises beautiful questions. And that is, you know, what do I get to be responsible for? Not, not what's the millstone I have to wear around my neck, but, you know, what as a, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a privileged adult human being, do I get to, you know, stick a flag in and say, this is what I choose to be responsible for. And there's all sorts of things to say in terms of, and this is the manner in which I choose to be responsible, but that starting place is, you know, making the choice to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is an evolutionary or, uh, you know, it's a, take some distinctions, right? You have to be able to draw distinctions. There's a sense in a kind of old model, I'm in quotes, right? Kind of old model of masculinity, traditional model of masculinity. Those were things, those were duties that we had to bear. Those were things that we unconsciously were handed that were placed upon us that we had to bear up. Um, which crushed a lot of men, which crushed a lot of people, which contributed to the 
to the kind of epidemics of, of violence to self and isolation and depression that we find ourselves in now. People don't want to live. Human beings don't want to live feeling as if everything they have to do is a duty, right? There's this kind of emergence of, uh, of self-actualized responsibility. One and hopes, it, yes. One hopes, <laughs> one, one hopes. hopes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And in, in my experience, in order to get there, I had to go into, you know, what we call going going down, taking the inward journey, taking the soul journey, going down into the, into the muck, no mud, no Lotus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And from, from going down into that and looking at um, the ways in which I, as an individual was, you know, harmed by things that I took on in cultural programming of, of the way masculinity is programming programmed or in the, you know, just the context, looking at all of that wounding, healing from all of that, coming into an emergent place of, of initiated manhood. Now I've, I've stepped past that. I've been, I am victimized by my past into, I have emerged from my past responsible. And now look around at the universe and what is it that I want to do and what is it that I get to do? And I love that you use that distinction. You know, this is what I get to do. And there are days when I still wake up in the morning feeling like this is what I have to do. Yeah. Right. But I have a new way of, of approaching it from this more, you know, mature mindset or growth mindset. So what, look what I get to do. So yeah, all those things we've we've swerved away from away from COVID and where we're living right now. But I think that's really important. I do hope you enjoyed this conversation between myself and Boys and Hodgson. Part one of our conversation, uh, part two, will be released shortly. Uh, and of course, you can find it uh, depending on when you're listening to this. You can also find it uh, on our site. Um, if you want to reach out to Boys and his email address is, uh, as a reminder, communications, communications at mkpusa.org. Again, communications at mkpusa.org. And of course, to find information on the Mankind Project, mkpusa.org. Um, or look it up in your local area if you're outside of the States. And uh, please feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at ken at cirruscoaching.com, K-E-N at C-I-R-R-U-S coaching.com. And if you're interested in uh, personal coaching, one-on-one with me, you just want to have a conversation, or you're interested in the I Am program that I run, that quarterly program for men, please reach out to me. I look forward to hearing from you. Make it a great day and be sure to listen to part two of my conversation with Boysen. Be well. Uh-huh.